0: In the house of God today. We're going to talk from this passage of grace today about born dead, made alive in Christ. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It's a new passage, but it's been there for 2,000 years. It's new for us because we're going through this series of the book of Ephesians for all of 2017. We started in February and we've been going verse by verse. Today's uh, message, born dead, Alive in Christ is found in verse 1. So let's read it together. Just verse 1: 1, 1 2, 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. How many know that's the bad news? How many are happy? The passage goes on and tells us other things. But that is the part we need to talk today about, being born in our sins, being born dead, and as you'll read later on, we're made alive in Christ. So let me read the passage. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Give your neighbor a nudge and say, he's talking about you. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Everybody say, naughty by nature. Thank you. All of us were born naughty by nature. Now, continuing on, verse 4 and onwards. But because of his great love. Somebody say his great love. Thank you. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we are dead in transgressions, it's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, somebody say coming ages, I mean, that's important. In the coming ages that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. These last three verses are so important. I pray that you'll memorize them and put them in your heart. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are, somebody say, we are. Thank you. We are God's handiwork, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Everybody say, it's a great day because it's a grace day. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, today's a grace day, so it's a great day. I want to tell you about the life of grace. Paul wanted us to know about the life of grace. For the next five weeks, we are going to learn about grace in a way that the world has never heard about before. If you've read the Bible, then you've got a taste of it, but I'm talking about when this first came to the people of Ephesus, the book written to them, the Ephesians, those people had never heard anything so marvelous before. Today, we're going to be talking about born dead versus made alive in Christ. Next week, the ways of the world versus... Versus the ways of God, cravings of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit, cursed by works or saved by grace, and then we'll end it out by God's masterpiece. You see, Paul was a great preacher because he was a grace preacher. I'm a great preacher. You want to know why? Because I'm a grace preacher. It doesn't matter the tone of my voice or whether I just smile and say, Jesus loves you. It doesn't matter. All I have to do is come and preach the grace of God and put the grace of God all up in your face. You need grace up in your face. How many of you work with people that need some grace up on their face? Amen. Well, why don't you start the trend and put some grace up on your face? Let your mouth and your face know what your heart is thinking. Can I see a smile from somebody? Oh, I got a smile over there. Can I get a smile over here, somebody? Some of you are like, "Mm, I ain't going to do it. Well, you be sassy by yourself and saucy then, but I'm going to be smiling for Jesus. Let your face know what your heart is experiencing. Today is a great day because today is a day to experience God's grace. Did you make today? Did you cook it up in your laboratory? Did you put out the molecules in the air? Did you get your heart beating? Come on, my friends, everything that we have today to even experience this thing we call life is by God's grace. Now, you may say, Pastor, what about the things that are bad? Well, it's by God's grace. He's to save us from those bad things. Why are they here? Because we walked away from grace. Have you ever read the first three chapters of the Bible? I'll just encourage you. Listen, this is all I want you to do this week. Read the book of Ephesians one time and then do this. Summarize the entire Bible so you can understand the point of grace. First three chapters of Genesis, first three chapters of John, last three chapters of Revelation. Everybody go, ooh. You'll understand grace. You'll understand it because we sinned in the beginning. Jesus had to come and die to restore the mess that we made. And in the end, those who accept Christ get the blessing of the new heavens and new earth. Everybody who complains about evil and they say God should do away with evil, okay, let's start with you and get rid of you then. Because that's what God would have to do if he didn't come and die on the cross and get evil out of our heart. He would have to send you out with the trash too, wouldn't he? Because you've done evil. Anybody here never done evil want to stand up and tell us what it's like to be perfect without Christ? I'll hand you the mic a little bit. You can explain it to us. How many lies have you told? How many things have you taken that don't belong to you? How many times have you been covetous and jealous? How many times have you taken the name of the Lord in vain? How many times have you disobeyed your parents or did while you were growing up? How many things do you put before God in your life? How many idols do you have right now that speak to you greater and louder than the word of God? Come on, somebody. That's the Ten Commandments. How you doing now, Mr. Goody-Two-Shoe? How many need some grace up in their face? You see, we got to understand the message of grace. The message of grace is not something you just hear one time and say, man, I did that. Let's talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse now. Let's talk about the Antichrist and who that is. No, it doesn't matter whatever we're studying or doing in Christianity for God. It's always about grace. You were born by grace, and you will die by grace. You say death is a blessing. Yes, it is. Read the book of Genesis. Death came first as a curse. But as we had the spirit of death upon us, if we would have eaten from the knowledge of the tree of life we would have lived forever hell on earth as it is right now you better be thankful you can die and get out of here and start again he said don't let them eat from the tree of the knowledge of life if they would have they would have lived a damned life you think this is hell on earth you haven't seen nothing yet baby come on You better be thankful you get to breathe your last breath and get a ticket out of here and get to start over again with the resurrection of Jesus. That's why Jesus raised from the dead is so that you could have a resurrected body. So all of us may see the evil of this world, and we understand there's problems, but we know there's a problem solver, Jesus. Anybody remember that old Andre Crouch song? Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Y'all better go back to some of that gospel in the 70s. I just get excited every time I sing it, because it doesn't matter whether it's a shooting in in Nevada or the earthquakes. I know the reason why the world is cursed. Man has sinned. God has judged it, and a final judgment is coming. So I want to be saved. I want to be rescued. I want to be born again. I want a second chance at this thing, but I can't. I'm not good enough. I've already proven I can't keep 10 out of the 613 commands he gave me. Well, thanks be unto God who sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for us that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life amen that's the message of grace now when you go back up to this passage this week i want you to have some nuggies as we go through these uh, messages so let me just exegete it what it means explain it in a way that maybe will be helpful for some of you and others this can be a review it says you were dead in your transgressions and sins we're all born naughty by nature just look at your children they'll prove that true every day your children don't have to be taught to lie they have to be taught not to lie I don't know about you, but no one ever taught my children to lie. The Sunday school workers sure didn't. I didn't. My, gran- my parents, their grandparents didn't. But how is it my three-year-old learned to lie? And how is it the moment she learned to talk, she learned to be sassy? She learned the word no and wanted to tell me all the time no. Who taught them that? Who taught them to not be happy with what they get and to want more and to be spoiled? Are you teaching them that in the back? Who's telling them that on Sunday school or in, Su- or in Sesame Street? No, children, because of the curse of Adam and Eve, are born with a broken moral compass. That's why we as parents have the great duty and honor of shaping our children's moral compass. We are there to teach them the ways of God, to straighten out that path. And it will come natural to them as a child, because it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. So it's better to teach a child those things that God wants us to do than wait to try to teach a 50-year-old. Can I hear an amen? Because it's harder as your heart gets harder. But the Bible says teach them in the ways that they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart so look at your own life who taught you to sin nobody you were born as a sinner and then you proved you were a sinner by the cravings of your own flesh and the bible says that the spirit is at work in them is at work in sinners and that doesn't mean the spirit of the age or the devil but that doesn't mean they're all demon possessed and that doesn't mean we were demon possessed what it simply means there spirit is it means the way of thinking the mindset the attitude think about a branch going downstream the river Everybody thinks kind of the same way in the world when it comes to morality. Everybody kind of thinks the same way when it comes to their religion. And this is exactly the opposite of God. And listen, it doesn't matter if you're listening to Little Wayne here and Oprah Winfrey here or Deepak Chopra over there in Bollywood in India. It's all the same system going away from God. All religions going away from God. They all have one thing in common. They tell you to do something to get something good in the end. That is exactly the opposite of Christianity. Christianity. Christianity teaches salvation by grace, not by works, not by yoga pants, not by praying five times towards a rock in Mecca. It is by faith alone in Christ alone for the glory of God alone. Amen. And so don't let anybody tell you otherwise. The truth is, is that we have, by our own default, a choice to make. And as it says in verse 3, we then start to make the wrong choices. So take it like this. Imagine the devil brings you to Baskin uh, Baskin-Roberts 31's flavors. He brings you there. The spirit of the age brings you there. It comes natural for you to show up there. And now each one of those flavors are the sins of this world. Lying, deceiving, perversion, uh, greed, selfish ambition, anger, self hatred, uh, jealousy, fits of rage, all of those things. And now you make the choice, as it says, you follow the desires and thoughts, the cravings of the flesh. So if I was to go back into your past, those of you who are Christians, and ask you, what were your flavors of sin? What would they be? Some of you would say, man, I took a whole lot of anger, a whole lot of perversion, and just a little bit of drunkenness on the weekends, and that was my little, you know, ice cream cone of sin. Others would say, man, you know what? I didn't get drunk. I didn't do any of that, but I was one of the most prideful people you would have ever met. I was so religious. I thought I was better than everybody else because I went to church, you know, and you just put all that together. That was your Sunday. That That was your ice cream cone of sin. And the Bible says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So put it together, these uh, three verses. You were born a sinner. The devil helped you sin. But then you made your own choice, your own personal decisions. And then you send yourself right into God's wrath. Everybody go, ooh. Okay, I hope that makes sense now because that's what I do as a pastor. I explain these passages. The Baskin-Robin example I hope will stick with you, that we all chose our own sin. Now look at the next passage here, 4 through 7. It says, but because of God's great love, he's rich in mercy. He didn't leave us that way. He died on the cross to give us forgiveness of sins. So 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the debt for all of humanity's sins, past, present, and future. And the good thing is, when I come to Jesus today and ask for forgiveness, he doesn't have to be crucified again. He just takes what he did there and applies it to my debt here. So imagine if you had a rich relative that lived 2,000 years ago, and had a kingdom full of gold and diamonds and jewels and all of these things, and they had a steward that was here today and told you all about it and said, here's all you got to do. Here's the credit card we're going to give you. Whenever you spend money, bring us the receipt. We'll pay off the debt. Every time you bring us the receipt, we pay off the debt. How many of y'all would be happy up in this place? How many know we would have a new definition of you shouting hallelujah if that just happened right now? If somebody walked in this room and said, here's an unlimited credit card, but here's the deal. You just come back here. You come to me with that receipt. It is paid for every time. See, that debt was paid 2,000 years ago, but it's applied in the present. And so think of salvation this way. The Father sends the Son, but the Holy Spirit now is here as the Son went back up to heaven. The Holy Spirit is here now as the steward of salvation. That's why we must be born again of the Spirit. Have a relationship with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Have the fruit of the Spirit. He's the deposit on the inside of us and so he makes good the forgiveness of God, the cleansing, the redemption, the newness and anytime we sin we go back to the Father in the name of Jesus for forgiveness Holy Spirit cleanses us and that is the mercy of God. Now look at these next parts right here in 6 and 7. It says that he raised us up and seated us with Christ in heavenly realms and we talked about that in chapter 1 and what that means is our spirit is bounded to Jesus and the Holy Spirit right now so where God is, we are, and where he is, uh, where, where I am, he is, and where he is, I am. Everybody say unified. So there is a part of heaven inside of me because God is inside of me. So whatever we call heaven, a lot of times we just think of heaven as like some far-off place, but isn't heaven wherever Jesus is? So if Jesus is in a place right now we call heaven and Jesus is also here, isn't a part of me in here in a place called heaven then? Heavenly realms and we showed you that where they cross over the physical realm and the spiritual realm cross over in our spirit See think about it right now think about it right now. How many are thinking about it right now? Your thoughts are spirit your thoughts are not physical. Can I take out that thought and paint it red? Can I go sell it for a dollar ninety-nine at five below your thought would anybody want to buy that thought is it worth anything? See but you have thoughts And your thoughts control a physical body. You are not your brain. You are the driver of your brain, just like you're the driver of your car. Your car stops there. You get out and move from it. Your body will stop there, and they'll bury it, and you'll get out from it. Hello, somebody. Your spirit uses your body. And so the Bible says that even now in your body, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit is, there's the Father and the Son in the heavenly realms in his nature, and what we learned last week about his actual essence. And then now watch what happens, verse 7. That in the ages to come He shows his incomparable riches of his grace So something changes when Jesus comes back And judges the world We get resurrected bodies Evil is taken off the planet And what we mean by that is evil people Who never wanted to be forgiven They're taken off the planet with the devil Can I hear an amen? That's why we got to preach the gospel to everybody Because we don't want all of them going to hell, right? The Bible says he wishes none would perish But that all would come to the knowledge of, of Jesus And then we get to that last part. And I'm just helping you because, remember, I want you to study this this week and memorize this and put this in your heart, that how are we then saved? We're saved by grace through faith. So if somebody was to ask you, hey, man, you think you're better than me because you're a Christian and you go to church, what would you say? No, I'm saved by grace through faith. I may be better off than you, but I'm not better than you. I could be better off than you by having a million dollars in my hand. Maybe you don't have a million dollars, and I have a million dollars in my hand. I'm better off, but am I better? No, because I take the million, I set it down. Did anything change about me? No, I put the million back in my hand. Still the same guy. But now watch. When Christ comes into us, he changes us. Not us changing ourselves, but it's all because of him. It's not what we do that changes ourselves. What religion will teach you and even other diversions of Christianity like Roman Catholicism, they'll tell you there's no assurance of salvation. That's why they have the religious enterprise. That's why they have to feed you the communion. You need them. You need them to baptize your children. You need them to uh, confirm you, and, and yes, we need the church in a sense, but not in that way—not for salvation. But that's how they tied themselves into it. They say you need us to be confirmed and to be Christian, and when you're sick, we'll do the blessing, and when you die, we'll do your final rites. So, if you really talk to a Roman Catholic and you go, "Are you sure that if you were to die, you would go to heaven?" They don't know. Most of the time, they say, "Well, I don't know. I think I've been what good enough. I think I'm." good enough. I'm a good enough person. And you may say, pastor, you know, we're better than the Roman Catholics, but Bishop so-and-so most of the time be spewing that same stuff too. Oh, the devil be working on you, but God wants to work in you. Come on, somebody. God going to change your life. And every single week, every time you come to the tap dancing preacher, what he's trying to get you to do is to believe if you keep listening to him doing what he says, you're going to be saved. The Bible doesn't say that salvation is some lifelong process like you're in some self-help program. Salvation is instantaneous. It's ED. It's in the past. Once you've done it, you've been saved. God ain't still saving me. I've been saved. You see the difference. And so, once again, what religion will have you do, whether it's the tap dancing preacher or whether it's the priest, is have you think there has to be something you do in this thing that gets you saved. And that is not true. Look at it again. You've been saved by grace. That's a gift of God. Kaoris in the Greek. It's very simple. You've been saved by the gift of God. It's a gift. Can you earn a gift? Does anybody get a Christmas gift or, you know, receive a Christmas gift and go, yes, look what I did. I am so awesome. Look at this. Does anybody do that? No, you go, you're so awesome. You're so awesome, right? Thanks, Mom and Dad. You've been saved by a gift through faith, not of yourselves. It is the what? The gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You see, I can boast if I've gone to communion enough. See, I've, I've worked on myself, and that's why I don't got to go to purgatory as long as you do because you poor thing haven't taken enough communion, so you're going to be suffering in purgatory for a little while, right? Is that the way they think? And the same thing is with Bishop so-and-so. Yeah, you didn't fast 40 days. You didn't buy my new book. You didn't get this new thing. You didn't go to this $500 conference. You didn't let me shuck and jive and tell you all these things. And that's why you're not really who you're supposed to be. That's not, there's no trick to Christianity. There's nothing hidden up the sleeve. Simple. It's basic, but it will change your entire life. You are saved by God once you put your faith in Him. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. And then in verse 10 says, we are God's handiwork. Right now, created, past tense. I am God's handiwork. How many of you are saved? Then you were created in Christ as His masterpiece, a new creation to do good works, prepared in advance for you to do. Everybody turn with me to 1 John, because I want to show this to you quickly. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. Many get it twisted. Some say, oh, man, the devil's working on me. The only one the devil is working on is the one the devil has. You're either on the side of God or you're on the side of the devil. Now, the devil can attack you. Just understand the verbiage. Understand what the Bible says. We get attacked all the time, yes, but the devil can't work on us because working means he's doing something for his purpose. Look at what the Bible says. No one who lives in him, look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on what? sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. So if you tell me you know Jesus, but you keep living in sin, what am I supposed to say back to you? I'm supposed to say liar, liar, pants on fire. But pastor, isn't everybody a sinner? We're born sinners. We're born against saints. Which one are you? Whose side are you on right now? Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. How many think people are trying to lead you astray with that? Because what they want to do is keep you in their gospel enterprise. If you keep thinking you're a sinner, then they're going to keep selling you the remedy to sin. If they preach Christ as the final remedy to sin, there's nothing else for them to do. There's no more shucking and jiving. There's no more keeping you here, getting Father Tom to feed you like a little bird communion. If they tell you, you are saved, now you are the priest of the believer, the Bible says. So what is church? The church is the gathering of saints, us sharpening each other's iron. Brothers and sisters coming together, living as we're supposed to. So we are not to make excuses for our sin. We are to say sin is not in my identity. I am who God said I am, and I can do what he said I can do. Don't let anybody lead you astray. The one who does what is right is what? Righteous. Sounds about right to me. If you don't think the one who does what is right is righteous, you are wrong. Well, I'm righteous, Pastor, but you keep sinning. Well, I went to church and I just asked them to forgive me every now and then. Yeah, but if you're not being changed, you're not right. You're still on the wrong side. Well, I thought God loves me even though I'm wrong. No, he loves you just the way you are, but too much to let you stay that way. He wants you to be righteous just as he is righteous. Now, this is where it gets sassy. Somebody say, make it plain. Verse 8, preach it to us, John. The one who does what is sinful is of the... Okay, so who are you of today? The devil or are you of God? Come on, the one who is sinful is of the devil because the devil's been sinning from the... Now watch right here. He's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was that you could just be forgiven of sin and go through the merry-go-round of sin your whole life. Jesus, forgive me because I know I feel so bad about what I did, but really I want to do it again because it is kind of fun, but I feel so bad, and I, I promise I won't do it again. Just this one last time. God, one last time. Oh, now I feel so bad. No, but Jesus, really, you know, I can't change myself, but I know you love me. Oh, forgive me. Is that Christianity? Is that the Bible? Look at what it says. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's, the devil's, come on, the devil's work. He appeared to destroy the devil's work. What does it say in the first few verses that we read today? It says here that like the rest, we were living this way, having the spirit of the age, who is now at work in those who are disobedient so is the devil working on you or has his works been destroyed by the power of Jesus Christ? Choice is yours, my friend. Totally up to you. I'm going to heaven. I've already made up my mind. You do what you want. I'm just being real because I got a lot of sassy people in my life. We actually had somebody post up this verse, 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. They posted it up where I started reading today. And somebody literally wrote back on Facebook, I totally disagree. Verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. I totally disagree. And they put pastors sin and these people sin. And first of all, I just want to ask, are you a Christian and you're disagreeing with the Bible? What kind of poop does that? What kind of oompa-loompa does that? You say you're a Christian. We just read you the Bible. It was a meme, literally, of the Scripture. in cursive, looking nice, little tagline of the verse at the bottom. No opinion, not even an opinion, just a meme of verse 6. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. I totally disagree. I totally disagree. I totally disagree. Then they get into a long argument, and I'm just like, do you disagree with God? I mean, how do you interpret that? You see all these things I have up here? These are interpretations of the Bible, uh, uh, versions rather, and versions help us interpret. You want to make sure we do it right, just go to different versions. Let's, let's go to another one here. This is right here. Uh, it's a little bit down here. Check it out. Oh, I'm in Romans. Let, let me go back here to 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. And I want to show you different translations. Somebody say, make it plain. Somebody say, prove it, Pastor. Love to prove it. You guys got some time? Because I definitely love to prove it. I'd definitely love to prove it. No one, this is the message, totally in a contemporary English version. No one who lives deeply in Christ makes a practice of sin. None of those who do practice sin have taken a good look at Christ. They've got him all backward. Come on, son. Better repent of that foolishness. Let's go to the Amplify. See if you like this translation. No one who abides in him, who lives and remains in communion with and in obedience to him, deliberately, knowingly, and habitually commits, practices sin. No one who habitually sins has either seen him or known him, recognized, perceived, or understood him, or has had an experiential acquaintance with him. Let's just go to one more just in case y'all don't believe him. Let's just go to the King James. The King James is going to be just this bold and sassy. You know what? Here's the New King James. It just removes the these and thou's. New King James, verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither known, has seen him nor known him. I mean, could it be more plain? I mean, he's made it plain to us. So let's just start, start just right here for a second. The message of grace is a message of you not sinning. That's the message of grace. Some people get it twisted. Oh, the message of grace means I can sin all that I want. No, the message of grace is you don't have to sin anymore. Let's just get it in our mind real quick. Let's get it in our mind real quick because I got a picture to show you. It's going to come really clear in a minute. But I want to try one more time before I show you the pictures, okay? Watch this. If I happen to be playing in mud... And it starts to get on with the day. And now the mud is all up in my body and all up in this stuff. And now I come to your house. You love me, don't you? I'm your pastor, right? But are you going to let me just come sit up on your couch with all the mud all up inside of me and all over? No. What are you going to say? You're going to say, let me clean you first. Pastor, come right over here. I got a hose. Let me just turn it on. You're not even coming to the shower yet, Pastor. Let me just turn on the hose. You're going to wash me down. You love me, right? You love me. Now watch. After you wash me down, if I just go find the first puddle out there and go jump and roll in the mud again to say, wash me. I just like when you wash me. There's a problem now, isn't there? The purpose of you washing me was not that I would just run out there and do it all over again. The purpose of you washing me was to make me appropriate to have a relationship with you in a setting that's conducive for adults. God wants to have a relationship with us in a setting that's conducive for God because God is holy. And righteous and so he cleanses us to and invite us in to his presence now in that place if we sin what do we do we repent because we don't want to be unholy in his holy presence we don't want to spit on the cross that paid for our sins so yes a Christian may sin but that's not their habit So I'm sorry if another church shucked and jived and told you some half gospel truth, which is a full lie, and told you it's okay to keep thinking about yourself as a sinner, to keep complaining about how the devil's working on you, so you can have an excuse to be busted and disgusted, tore up from the floor up, needing a check up from the neck up. It's about time you believe he is who he said he is, and you are who he said you are. Because he's my savior, and I'm his child. And he sure enough knows how to keep me clean. And he knows how to forgive me, restore me, and empower me in this relationship. So that's why we come to this message of grace with a whole different perspective. We're not coming here to see all that we can get away with and go to heaven. We want to see how close to heaven we can get and stay on this earth. I'm going to say it again. Somebody put this on Facebook. It's an oldie but goodie. I'm not trying to see how close to hell I can get and go to heaven. I want to see how close to heaven I can get and still be on this earth. Some people say, don't be too heavenly minded. You'll be no earthly good. No, Jesus was so heavenly minded, he changed the earth for good. You'll be changed the moment you put your mind on Christ. Get rid of stinking thinking. How many like pictures? Can you take a look at this one? It's really simple. We're born sinners. You're born dead. You're born dead in such a way that you can't save yourself. Trying to save yourself would be like as if you had HIV and you put in this arm a blood transfusion, a needle, right into this arm. You think you're going to heal yourself of HIV? Now you say, well, I got somebody in my life that's going to heal me. My wife, my mother, my friend, my brother. Some people say jail saved me. Man, I went to jail and it saved me. Man, I feel sorry for you. Because if a woman saved you, jail saved you, any of that, you're still going to hell. You're not saved. You know what that's like? That's like you going to another person that has HIV saying, give me a blood transfusion. Well, you both have HIV. You did not absolutely nothing. Who is the one that has pure blood? Jesus, and his blood ran for you. God so loved the world. God so loved us despite the mistakes that we made that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, not goes to work and does a bunch of things for him, no, but whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So are you still dead or have you been made alive in Christ? What makes the difference is your faith. Now you may say, what is the process of Christianity? If I'm not being saved, if I'm already made a new creation, what do we do in Christianity? Well, on this holy side, the Bible says we mature. We become who God wants us to be. Now, remember, my son is born, was born five years ago as my son. He didn't have to be born again and again and again to be my son. The first time he was born, he was born my son. Now he grows to act like daddy, okay? And so the moment I'm born again, I'm the son of God. I don't have to be born again and again and again and again. I just need to grow up and be like who he wants me to be. Does everybody see the difference? Now, as we get into salvation, you'll learn that you can come out of salvation. I don't believe in once saved, always saved, but I want to take my time getting there. But those of you who are saved and want to stay saved, can I hear an amen? How many believe today if you were to die, you would go to heaven? Now, is that because of your works or is that because of the work of Jesus Christ? Amen. You put faith in him. Now, let me just tell you these two things, dead in sin, made alive in Christ. It's right here. It's very simple. Let me just help you in closing here. The person who is dead in sin is not able to please God. We just understood that clearly. Now we can't do that because we're separated from God in our spirit and we need a relationship with him. But now look at this. What can we do as those who are dead? is we can admit our guilt once we're convicted by the Holy Spirit and when we hear the Word of God preached. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. Thank you. There are two illustrations in the Bible that teach us what deadness looks like. The first one comes from a popular portion of the Bible known as the Prodigal Son. How many know Jesus' parable here? The man had two sons, one took off, spent all of his father's money that he had for an inheritance. After he blew it all, he started getting broke. He didn't have anywhere to eat, uh, anywhere to live or eat, so he worked on a farm and ate pig slop. Now you know that's bad, right? And then he came to his senses and said, "Man, I better come back to my father's house. It'd be better for me to be a servant than to be out here." And when he comes back, his father receives him, brings him home. Now look at what his father says to him. Luke chapter 15 verse 24. "For this son of mine was was he physically dead? Was he like, like dead? No, he was dead in relationship. You ever heard somebody say, you're dead to me? That is the biblical sense when it says dead. The prodigal son is still moving around, but he's out of relationship with the father, and the father considered that dead. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is what? Found. Was he like, man, where's the nearest Starbucks around here? I'm so lost. No, he was lost from the way, the path of Christ, and he was found. So they began to separate. So let me help you understand this. Some people will wrongly teach you that you'll only get saved when the good Lord is ready to save you. When the Lord's ready to save you, he's going to save you Sure enough. You, you must not be ready yet because the Lord ain't ready yet. When, once you're ready, the Lord ready. So you know, you know, you'll know you're ready when, when the Lord make you ready. That's how we'll know you're ready. So you must not, the, the Lord must not have you ready yet. And so the whole idea is, is that when you're ready, it's because God made you ready. And if you're not ready, it's because God hasn't made you ready. Somebody say stupid is, stupid does. God's ready right now to save you. He said today's the day of salvation. God already died on the cross, paid the penalty for sin. If you died today and went to hell, it's your fault, not his. So how are you dead? You're dead if you don't have Christ and you're out there doing something different. He says, you're dead to me. You need to come back home just like the prodigal son did. So I want to invite all prodigal sons and daughters here. And trust me, I can relate to you. I'm telling you right now, the father's waiting for you and wants to embrace you. But you have to come home. That's faith in Jesus. And then we see in Ephesians 5.14 that same concept of dead. Listen to how it's used. Ephesians 5.14, this is why it said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. A lot of times preachers use the Lazarus example of the sinner. And they say, oh, you're dead, but Jesus is on the way. He's going to call you up. Lazarus, come on out. And Lazarus is going to come. Then loose him and let him go. And they're going to call that salvation. That you are dead and helpless like a mummy dead in a grave. And Jesus is going to call you. Listen to me. That's called allegorical preaching. That's when you take a story and turn it into something else. Guess what the story about Lazarus being raised from the dead is all about? Lazarus being raised from the dead. It's not an illustration of salvation. Why? Because the illustrations of salvation are in teaching passages about salvation, where he actually says, This is what salvation is. Do you see the difference? You try to import, I said as they call it in hermeneutical studies with homiletics. You try to import your belief system onto the narrative of Lazarus. You ruin the narrative and you have bad theology. Let the theology speak to you and then understand narratives. That narrative has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with the miracle power of Jesus raising a dead man. What is the illustration of us being made from dead to alive? Ephesians 4.14, 5.14. And it says, you're like a sleeper that's dead. And can be raised up with a call. So sleeping is synonymous with being dead. Just like a relationship that's separated is considered death. Are you listening? Let me give you the example. I'm not a morning person. So what my wife has to do to get me up for church is she has to send in my kids to wake me up. Because she used to come in and that didn't work too well. When she would come in and she would say, it's time to get up. I'd be like, I don't want to get up. It's not, it's not time yet. I want to sleep a little bit longer. That's what I would do. So now what we figured out works best for me is like sending in Zoe, my three-year-old. Daddy,
1: Daddy, it's time to get up.
0: And then I'm just like a little bit nicer. Okay, thank you. I'll get up in a little bit. But it's my choice. Listen to it. That's why it said, wake up, sleeper. Wake up, sinner. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. You choose to wake up. You can go, now i ain't waking up, snooze. I'm going back to bed. I don't need to listen to that preacher. I'm going to do whatever Father Tom said. I don't need this. You go back to sleep. See, in consideration of spiritual deadness, you may not have had a choice to be born spiritually dead. That was Adam's fault and the curse that God put upon humanity. I get it. But it's your choice now whether or not you stay dead. You can get up. Christ is calling you up right now. Get up. Just live for me. Come on. Have a new reason to live. Have a joy in your heart. Get rid of your thinking, your stinking thinking. Have the mind of Christ. He calls you up. He calls you back home. So what does it mean? Just like sinners are dead and are unable to please God, that doesn't mean, though, they can't admit their deadness and repent of their sins when convicted by the Holy Spirit. See, that's the grace of God. That's God's grace. He's the Father waiting for lost humanity to come home. He's the one shaking you up by your sinful bedside, saying, get up, let's go. But it's your choice. Just like I've never met anybody that was an adult. I met some kids that were forced to accept their Christmas present, maybe that homemade sweater from their grandma. I don't know if any of you guys are old enough to remember stuff like that, but my grandma would knit stuff, and she would put it in a box that would so make you think you're getting something cool. What is this? I don't want it. You're not giving it back. You're wearing it now. Okay, other than people forcing you to take a gift, how many know adults can't force other adults to take a gift? We call that slavery. And it's not really a gift. Now it's becoming torture because if I wanted it, you would have to force me to take it. God is not a divine kidnapper dragging you to heaven. You're coming whether you like it or not. Your choice. Accept gift. Be happy. Thank you, Jesus. I don't want to be a sinner anymore. I want to be who you made me to be. Thank you. Gloria adios. Glory to God. Or... You can say, "Ah, I don't want that. I want to do it another way. I want to do it Oprah's way. I want to do it Clinton's way. I want to do it Trump's way. I want to get power, money, and influence. I want to do it my way. I want to do it Deepak Chopra's New Age way. I want to do it. You could pick a thousand ways, but there's only one right answer to two plus two. There's only one way to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. There's no way to the Father but by Him. And it's your choice. It's my choice. Now here's where it comes in. Now that we're in, we can leave if we want. So I don't believe in once saved, always saved because He's not a divine kidnapper. And He doesn't start off sweet and then lock the doors and deadbolt them and hide the key. He's always a gentleman. But then people ask it like this. They say, man, if I can lose my salvation, then then, then, then what what sin do I do? Because I don't want to do it. Because what if I do it by accident and I'm not saved? Did you get in by good works? No. So you can't get out with bad works. God can handle sin. This is what God says is your only way out is unbelief. Because how did you come in? Through faith. You want to see it in the Bible? Come on. Somebody say prove it. I would love to prove it. Look at what it says here. In the Bible it talks about the Jews and Gentiles being grafted into God like a branch with uh, a vine with branches but this is what it says here that they began to get taken out of the vine the branches began to come out and there was a little bit of a fear that came over them just like maybe it might come into your heart like man how, how do I know if I'm going to get cut out of God well look at what it says verse eleven again I asked Paul talking did they chapter eleven verse eleven Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? No, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So because they didn't want it and they crucified Christ, Gentiles are now coming in and they're like, man, are these guys all going to go to hell, all the Jewish people? No, no, no. They can come back in because if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much more greater would their full inclusion bring? Now, I'm talking to you Gentiles as much as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, look at what he says here, verse 17. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though an, a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to the other branches. How many of you are saved? But how many of you are Jewish? Probably not many of you. Don't think of yourself better than a Jewish person because they can still come in. If you do, consider this. Now watch this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. How many are supported by the root of Christ today? You will then say, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted. But they were broken off because of what? And you stand by what? Faith. How can you get broken off? Unbelief. The unpardonable sin is the sin of saying, I don't believe the Holy Spirit. I will not walk in faith by him anymore. That's it. So the only ones who are not forgiven are the ones who say, I don't want to be forgiven. I don't want to live for Jesus. That's the sin of unbelief. Don't be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not consider the natu- uh, did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Everybody say, consider. Mmm. You have to consider. What are you going to consider? The sternness, and what else? The kindness. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. How many want to continue in the kindness of God? How many are considering that's a lot better? It's a lot better than going under the wrath of God. So can I get cut off? Yes, by unbelief. Any sin I commit in Christ, I can be forgiven of, because a Christian truly will not live a life of continual sin. They're not using grace as a get-out-of-jail-free card. They recognize where they came from and now who they are, and they desire the righteousness of Christ. Think about it like this. One last example in closing. How many of you have ever had a pebble in your shoe? Was it fun? No. And pebbles usually come in your shoe when you're on a walk, right? Like if you're hiking or doing something where there's pebbles at. Now, I have a little walkway that I take, a little path, and then it turns into a dirt road. Every time I go on that dirt road, I get a few pebbles in my shoe. At that moment, I now have a choice to make. Keep the pebbles in my shoe and see how fun that journey is, or stop, take off my shoe, shake it out, and walk. How many of you prefer to take the pebbles out? It's pretty obvious, right? What does the Christian do when they sin? They walk on the path of righteousness. Should they sin? It's like a pebble in their shoe. Doesn't feel right. Didn't treat my wife right. I have conviction. Didn't treat you, my fellow neighbor, right. Treated somebody bad at the grocery store, you know, the Comcast cable people, you know. And I got a pebble in my shoe and I don't like it. I repent. Now what happens if you would leave that pebble in your shoe? It could set into your foot. It could then cause an infection. That pebble in your shoe, if it's not dealt with, could cause your whole foot to be amputated. Isn't that something? Something so small. You could use a splinter the same way. A big enough one could do it. So what is the infection of sin in a person's heart? It leads towards unbelief. It takes them away from Christ. That's why we don't live in continual sin. Everybody say, help us. Come on, somebody say, help us, Lord. That's why the Bible talks to us like this. Can I just read this real quickly to you? In Hebrews chapter 2, it's very clear about how you should look at your life of faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, rather, and how you should see what unbelief leads to. See, Uh, uh, excuse me, so as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. How many of you hear God's voice when he convicts you? Don't harden your hearts then. That's the warning. Get that pebble out. Repent. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, talking about the Israelites, during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. I thought God was never angry. He was always nice. Is that true according to the Bible? No. Why was he angry with that generation? I said their hearts are always going astray. They're always walking with pebbles in their shoes. They don't care anymore, and they have not known my ways. So I declared in in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters. Nudge your neighbor on left and right and say, come on, this is for you. Look at the connection in closing. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That's my prayer for you. Don't let a sinful heart lead you to unbelief. A lot of people think when they're messing with sin, oh, man, I'm not going to deny God. I'm good. But they don't see the result of sin continually in their life. I have seen pastors deny Christ because they gave into adultery. And they covered it up. And they were like, well, you know, I kind of married the first one young. And we didn't really get along. And it's better for the kids now. And after all, you only live once. And she says she's a Christian. And she's going to actually help me do ministry. See, their heart gets hard because they're not listening. This word hard is actually where we get uh, the, 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 the veins. This is the same Greek word there. I'll show it to you in the Greek where it talks about the hardening. It's the same word that we use when we talk in the medical field about what plaque does. Can I show that to you? Are you guys bored? Let me just show this to you in, in, in my second or third closing. Which one am I on right now? Okay. My third closing. All right, I'm getting there. This word for harden, skilerono, is where we get the word sclerosis. Do you see it right here? S-K-L-E-R-O-S. Look up sclerosis. Look it up. Yes, hardening of the arteries, sclerosis. Look it up. In the Greek, S-K-L-E-R-O-S, it'll give you the English version, hardening of your arteries. It's What's that? Skorosis. My wife is Greek. Scorosis. Sounds so much more scholarly and romantic as well, I must say. Scorosis. But she doesn't make my heart scorosis. She makes my heart soft. How do we say that in Greek? So what is it? See, what happens is you start off going like, man, I'm good. I'm good. This adulterous affair, I'll just ask God, even if I'm wrong, even if I'm wrong, pastor, I'm just going to ask God and he'll forgive me. But they don't know the sinfulness of the heart is like the plaque in the artery. And it starts to choke out the life of God. And there's a parable on that. And before, you never thought you would deny him. You never thought you would close the Bible and say, I'm not reading this again. You never thought you would close the door on church and never come back. But now it makes sense. And you talk to people like that in your life, don't you? It's like they went back. They were once saved, but they went back. And the Bible warns us of of that. So am I afraid of going to hell? Absolutely not, man. Hell no. Come on. And when I say heaven, y'all say, yeah, heaven heaven. When I say hell, y'all say no. Hell. Hell. Hell ain't got nothing for me. So I'm confident in my salvation. But the Bible says I work it out with fear and trembling. I grow it out. I grow up in the vine of God with fear and trembling, knowing that I came through faith as a gift by God's grace, and I can leave if I want. But here's the promise. As long as my heart says yes to the Lord, as long as my heart says, God, I want this from you. You know what he says he'll do? He will be faithful to complete that which he started in my life and in your life okay. unto the day of Christ Jesus. Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? So how are we made alive in Christ? By that faith. And we keep it to the day we die. In the book of Ephesians, look at what he said to them. Remember the first verse of the first chapter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus. The what? Come on, the what kind of people? The faithful in Christ Jesus. How many are going to be faithful? Come on, if you're going to be faithful, God will make you fruitful. In Ephesians 1.13, we've been there as well, and you were also included in Christ. Man, when was I engrafted, included in Christ? When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you what? Believed. Come on, when you what? Believed. When you believed, had faith, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. From the Father through the Son to the Holy Spirit to us today. I am saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. God is doing it on the inside of me. God loved me just the way I was, but too much to let me stay that way. I was born a sinner, but I've been born again a saint. Having faith in God today. How many want to keep that faith? In God's word, it's not a work of the law, nor is it done in human effort. Faith is the gift that can be received by a person given by the grace of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit when the gospel's preached. So everybody look up at me, please. Imagine if you were in a 100-mile deep pit and it was made of glass and it was like, you know, just about this round, 100 miles deep made of glass. You couldn't climb up. But imagine if they lowered down a rope and had a clip on there and they just said, clip on. You clipped on. They bring you up. Once you reach the top, are you going to be like, yes, look what I did. I took the clip, put it right here. I am awesome. Is that what you're going to do? No, you're going to say, thank you. You are awesome. Who made this rope? Who made this clip? Who's the one that pushed this button? Thank you. That's what salvation is. Now, you have a choice. You can just say, what is this stupid thing? I don't want this stupid thing. I don't want anything to do with this. Well, that's your choice, and that's literally what the stupidity of hell is. Hell is staying in the pit. Hell is staying spiritually dead. The wages of sin is death. You have to work your way to hell, but you get graced to heaven. The gift of heaven brings you up, and so today the question is, can you receive the gift? Can you humble yourself? Can you say, I've been wrong? about some of the ways I've thought about God, the world, salvation. I've been going down the river of the world, the spirit of the age. And now I want Christ to make me new. If you do, I want you to hear this in closing. Every one of us is born naughty in our nature, every single one of us. We all deserve wrath. We've all chosen one or, one or many of those 31 flavors of sin. So we're born naughty by nature. But watch this. But because of Jesus and our faith in Him, we get to be born again into the divine nature. My mom and dad gave me a sinful body because of the curse of Adam and Eve's sinful body. But the Son of God gives me a spiritual body made in His image. I have in me a deposit of the hope to come, the treasures to be revealed. Keep coming to these services. We're going to learn all about these wonderful things of the grace message because grace messages and the truth of God's grace will make your life great. You talk to anybody that goes through hard times with God, what are they going to say? I've made it by the grace of God. What you see right now is by the grace of God. I didn't do this on my own. It was by the grace of God. People come to my wife all the time. How do you have five kids and do homeschool? By the grace of God. How do you start a church in your house and a home Bible study? Now have 250. By the grace of God. How is it you get to love people, even your enemies, and forgive those who sin against you? By the grace of God. I'm just wondering, is there anybody here today that wants to live a great life in the grace of God and show this world what a masterpiece of grace? you and I are let's pray father we thank you for your grace the grace that you gave on the cross of Jesus Christ we didn't deserve it but you gave it and we receive it freely today how many are receiving it right now just say thank you Lord if you've got sin in your life repent of it and say I don't want to do that I don't want to do that I want to live for Jesus Those of us who are born again, thank Him. And now begin to pray for the areas of your life that you want to be graced in today. You want to see God's grace on your job. You want to see God's grace in this community. God, would you use us as your masterpieces, as your instruments of grace? 30 more seconds before we go, saints. I'm here by God's grace. You're here by God's grace. Let's do something with the grace of God now. Let's see a world change. Do we do good works? Absolutely, by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Come on, keep praying. It's not a library. Let's pray. Grace of God. Grace of God in your life. You were born dead, but you're alive in Jesus now. You can talk to the Father in Jesus' name, and the power of the Holy Spirit will confirm the word over your family, over your job, over our community. Those three major areas of our lives can be impacted by the grace of God. I pray we don't leave out here the same way we came, Jesus, that we start speaking the word, we start living that word, and see you work that word in our lives. Because if we work that word, you will work it in us. If we are faithful, you will make us fruitful. In Jesus' name, and everybody said one more time, come on, give God a big hallelujah, amen and amen. We're going to pray up here and worship. Otherwise, you are dismissed. Have a great day. Come up for prayer for anything. By the grace of God, we love to pray for you. Band, let's worship together. Have a great day by God's grace. Enjoy the presence of God. All things are possible to those who believe. Jesus, by your grace, we speak Your Word over lives today. Those who have to go, we bless them. Those who are staying for prayer, we pray Your grace will come all up in this place. Oh, make us do in Your presence. There's a newness today. Oh, I'm not the same. I'm who God said I am.
1: Here at Your throne, yes, Your will is made known for my
0: life. Thank You, Lord. And at your feet. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Your
1: love completes me all the time. When You, you breathe, breathe on me, I am I filled, filled with, with life. And You I find, find my peace, and You are
0: find, find my, my, my hope, my dreams. dreams. We speak new life over each person here today. You are who God said you are. You have a new life today in Christ.
1: In your presence, I am made new. I have been given a life now worth living.
0: Just a few moments. We're going to dismiss the band but I want those who are praying to keep praying please we're not in a hurry but I want some of you to hear this especially when it comes to children and marriage a lot of Christians suffer hardship and that's where a lot of their turmoil comes from but why do you think what we speak at weddings is what God commanded what God joins together let no one tear apart why do you think that is why is that so important a part of marriage and our ceremonies It's because God wanted you to start with the end in mind. He wanted you to start with the end in mind and to believe that anything that happens in between cannot and will not separate you from your spouse. Also with the word to your children, raise them up in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart. Why? Because he's telling you the end from the beginning. Now, I don't want anybody here to to think that I'm saying that if we have problems with our children or marriages. It's our fault because sometimes people make their choices. Even Adam disobeyed God and left the garden. That wasn't God's choice. That was his choice. So there is room for free will. But I want you, especially those of us here that are married and have kids and know there's a battle there to ask right now the Lord to give you faith, to increase according to his word and to speak it over your family. That my wife and I, will be together to death do us part. Nothing will separate us. Nothing. That you will speak over your children. My children will serve the Lord. They will grow up strong in the things of God. They will accomplish the destiny God has for them. Maybe one more word before we dismiss the band. One word about finances. Many people, once again, struggle with marriage, children, finances, right? Aren't these the big things of life? By God's grace, we can have a great marriage. By God's grace, we can have wonderful children. And by God's grace, we can be blessed. What did he teach us? Give. Give and it shall be given. It's better to give than it is to receive. And what do we feel in times of poverty, in times of lack? We feel to be stingy, to hold back, to not give God our best. And so what is he doing? He's telling us the end from the beginning. If we're generous, if we're faithful, if we stay true to his word, he will bless us. He will prosper us. He said, don't love God more, don't love money more than you love God. And so is there anybody here today, just at the sound of my voice, that needs to speak the word over their marriage, their children, and their finances? Can I pray for you just in these few moments as those who are already praying are praying? Lord, bless our marriages. Bless our children. Bless our finances by your grace. By your grace. We never deserved it. We never deserved this. But you've been good to us. And so we thank you for it. We will hold to your word. Just one more time, just sing that out, and then I'll dismiss you guys. Thank you. In your presence, I am made new. My marriage is made new if there's a problem. My children are made new whenever they're disobedient. We can do this God's way in your presence. My finances are made new. I don't do it by the spirit of the age. I do it by the Holy Spirit who multiplies and prospers. I've been given a life now worth living in your presence. Amen. Rudy, would you pray for the after party and those who need to pray can continue to do so.
1: Oh, God, you make everything new, God. You make everything new and fill it with your goodness, God. Every brokenness, you fix it, God. Every void, God, you fill it with your goodness, God. Where there's evil, you put good in place, God. So, God, I just thank you that you are in the process of restoring things, God, that that were broken down, Lord, that you're making things new, God, by your grace. God, that by your grace, nothing is impossible. God, by your grace, we're able to do uh, amazing things in your name, God. And I pray that us as your body would live it out to its full potential, God, by allowing your grace to lavish us, God. So, God, we give you all the glory for everything that you've done in our lives, God. Nothing that we did ourselves, God, is what we have. But, God, from you, God, you give every good and perfect gift, Lord. So we thank you and we give this whole this whole week to you, God, so that you can have your way, God, in Jesus' mighty name. Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. After party. You guys could keep praying and worshiping. We'll just, just dismiss the band. God bless you.